And when the heart rate goes up, there's a reason for this. When 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 people tell me, yeah, it was hot and the heart rate was higher, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it was hot. The heart rate was higher means higher stress for the body. Even if there's an explanation why the stress is higher, but it is a higher stress. That triathlon show, one hundred seventy-five. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Dan Lodang. Dan's main job is as the performance coach and head of innovation of the Boda Hans Grohe professional cycling team, uh, but he's also a triathlon coach and the coach is among others Jan Frodeno. You might have heard of him. He's still he's a former Olympic champion and Ironman and Ironman 70.3 world champion. Also, he coaches athletes like Anne Haug and uh, Justus Nischlag and Sarah True as well. I had the great pleasure of meeting Don when he came to Lisbon to hold a two-day seminar for Portuguese triathlon coaches. Uh, and I walked away from that seminar with, with so many great insights and that I hope that the same will be the case for you today. And I think it will because, uh, yeah, it's a long interview once again. It's a training masterclass. So, so I really think that you'll find a lot of value from it. But before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Uh, also, very recently, Q&A number 27, which... Uh, came out on uh, last Thursday, actually, so 28th of March 2019. Uh, that one had Andy Blow coming on as an expert guest, and Andy is, of course, the founder of Precision Hydration, and he talked about cramping and uh, all the expert knowledge that he has gained in that area. So do go and listen to that if you missed it. Also, I don't know if you're listening to perhaps uh, the Training Peaks Coachcast podcast, uh, but Andy Blow also appeared on that podcast recently and it was a great interview as well and, and a good introduction to the need for individualization of hydration, which is what, what precision hydration is all about. So basically you can, they can help you find your individual electrolyte needs for training and racing and then you can get electrolytes that match that sort of electrolyte need that you have. So go to precisionhydration.com Check out their free online sweat test. And if you want to buy any other products, you can get your first box for free with the promo code that triathlon show, all one word, all caps. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world leaders in wetsuits, trisuits, apparel, and performance eyewear. And uh, they are used by athletes like Katie Safiris, Gwen Jorgensen, Mario Mola and many, many others of the top triathletes and endurance athletes in the world. And just from a personal experience, I can say that I used, I think, at least three different wetsuit brands before I started using Roka wetsuits. And, and some of them were high-end wetsuits, so very much comparable to the Roka wetsuit that I use now. And uh, none of them were anywhere close, I want to say, for to the performance that I get in the Roka Maverick X wetsuit that I'm using now. So I really like Roka. All of their gear is uh, really high quality, really fast. It's it's made to perform, put simply. You can get 20% off your entire order on roka.com with the promo code TTS20. 
and that is all caps. So without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Dan Lodag. So today's guest on that triathlon show is Dan Lodag, and Dan, welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome. Uh, also, I'm really happy that you invite me to the show, and uh, I already hear to some other um, interviews that you did in the past. So um, yeah, I hope uh, my our, our interview will be as interesting as the the old one was. So, so which ones did you listen to? Which which ones were your favorites? Oh, the the favorite because I yeah really like to listen is uh, to Joel Joel Filiol, so um, one of the last ones, and um, yeah, I, I really liked it, and because we. We in the past we also discussed about training. We have a good relationship, so it was nice to hear him uh, to talk about the different topics. Yeah, uh, perfect. And uh, we have a lot to cover, so let's just r- jump into the questions and 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 the training talk that we have with you today. So uh, the first thing that I wanted to discuss, and and a lot of these questions, by the way, for the listeners' knowledge, are based on a presentation that you did a seminar for coaches here in Portugal in Lisbon. Uh, where we connected uh, a few months ago and and the topic of uh, focusing on maximum adaptation rather than maximum training was something that uh, that I uh, took away as a key key takeaway from that presentation can you talk a little bit about what you mean with that mm-hmm. um so in general i think it's it's important that we make a um yeah, that, that, oh, we all know there's a difference from athlete to athlete and um There is also a difference about how much training or how how much of the stimulus uh, in the end also comes to um, to a result. So what I mean is, when you train, you want to build up performance, and when you invest a lot of hours, you also want to have the results out of this. And depending on where the athlete is uh, during his career, so how much he had already de- uh, done in the past, what is his uh, physiology, um, there are um, There is a certain amount of impact that is good for him, or that he can um, um, transform into performance. And if he is doing more, at some point, perhaps he just will get fatigue. And the next step, perhaps, um, when he is doing this over over weeks or months, perhaps is um, going to kind of yeah, overreaching, overtraining, um, and that's something we we really don't want to have. So um, what I mean is the What I try to find with my athletes is to find the right amount of training. So to go for sure to the limit, because for the moment we are just training some um, high performance athletes. So we are not trying to, um, to have a too big gap between what is possible and what we are doing. So we go, we try to go to the limit, but uh, also to consider um, how much of the, um, Of the training volume or the training intensity or both is really necessary to reach uh, the next step in the performance buildup. For example, when we when we take one parameter, um, the oxygen consumption, um, there is um, uh, I can explain it really easily. There's a certain amount of oxygen that you can use, uh, let me say it per day or perhaps per week if we take an average to um, um to build up or to have some um anabol processes in your body so to really build up something and this amount of oxygen is linked to your vo2 or vo2 max um and it's also a link to how much training you did already in the past 
or even in a professional athlete when they start at the beginning of the season i think that's a quite logical example it's it makes no sense to start in the first aerobic endurance session with five hours on the bike or on the, or a long long run or whatever from the beginning on so there must be a difference between the first weeks of training and when you are in the middle of the training uh, period and one reason for this is that even if you're doing this long rides because perhaps on the bike it's possible um you will see there's no uh, yeah it's just some some kind of over- overloading over this five hours perhaps it's enough to do at the beginning two two and a half or depending on the athletes and um the problem here is that there is not so much evidence about this so there's no book that tells you okay you should go for this kind of athlete about uh, you start with two hours then you're doing two and a half and, and three or whatever um that is something um that you try to 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 see try to measure in training for example one one parameter could be um what we find in most of the software is the aerobic um decoupling so when we uh, take an easy training session over two hours for example when we look at the power when we look at the heart rate and when we see at one point that the heart rate is really uh, going up suddenly um perhaps this is also the point where we see okay the, the stimulus that I want to give here to have an easy aerobic session is perhaps enough at that point. And uh, we, we train that we, that we uh, put this point uh, or that we get further in the next sessions, but to find some kind of, um, of measuring um, to define this, this point. Also, I know um, also people who are using the HRV during training to see there are some changes and to see, okay, now we, we leave the, 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 the training um, effective uh, zone um, but it's it's quite hard to find this but um, in the end to to or to bring it to the end is it's important to understand that it's not that we that we just training a lot to have the maximum adaptation but we want to have the maximum adaptation possible at different phases during the year and then from um, for this you need a certain amount of, of training and to find this right amount of training, that is, um, the, in my eyes, also a key for building up an, an athlete over over the years. And on a macro level, from a big picture perspective, so not not looking at a single workout, but perhaps looking at a, a training block or a training week. How how do you find the limit? What the what the limit is at the moment for for the athlete? Is there anything? in particular that you that you look for to know if you're giving them enough but not too much training um to be honest this is a really a, a big part of um get um doing years of uh, of training of coaching with different athletes and then um looking what did they do in the past so uh, when when i when i start to work with a new athlete is uh yeah for sure i i want to know what did he in the past um then know his uh, metabolic profile know for example how is his vo2 max and then um it's also um the problem is that the different systems of your body muscles uh, the, the the cardiovascular system the uh, neural system so um they they react on a different way so it could be that from the aerobic system or from the cardiovascular system you could do more training but perhaps the muscles are already at the limit or another system so there it's um, some kind of yeah, approaching to the point 
uh, or getting the feedback from the athletes uh, f- from these different kind of systems. For the cardiovascular system, perhaps, like I said, we can use this, um, the heart rate, we can use the uh, watt speed, we can see this uh, aerobic decoupling. From the muscular side, um, for sure, we can uh, we should use the feedback of the athletes or if the athletes go to, to a physiotherapist, the feedback from them, how do the muscles feel? Um, yeah, some... Um, some information that the edit is giving you. So it's, I try to find the right combination between some technical parameters or some parameters that are measured combined to what the athlete is really um, telling me or the, the support stuff, because some athletes, they have support stuff. So like I mentioned, physiotherapist or perhaps, uh, I don't know, um, um, psychologist or nutritionist or whatever, and collecting these informations and try to see, okay, does this feedback correspond to what I want to have him in training? So, for example, if I start a, a three-week training block, so with three weeks going up with the load over every over each week, um, and I get already the feedback at the, at the first after the first week, oh, I'm really tired and the muscles feel quite stiff, and um, yeah, and then perhaps some other uh, people tell me, yeah, but he, he's looking a little bit strange, his mood is not good or whatever. I see. Okay, that was not the goal of the first training week. So I'm, I went uh, really far. And if you have the possibility to be on on the deck with the athletes every day, then it's it's for sure also different because then you see the athletes every day. But if you don't have this possibility, then you need a good combination of athletes feedback and measuring. Um, yeah, and the possibility that you can measure some some parameters. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that makes sense. And one thing that you mentioned there with what they have done in the in the past in terms of the amount and type of training, uh, how do you use that? So let's say you have two new athletes coming to you. One is a thirty year old who's been an elite triathlete for uh, for ten years, and one is a a twenty year old who's just coming up through the junior ranks, perhaps, and and trying to make it at the top level and and don't have that same training background. How does that impact then your decision making on on what how much training to to give them to get maximum adaptation Mm -hmm. um so the easiest way is to if the athletes have some kind of documentation of their training so if you see okay there is for example somebody can tell you or can show you what he did the last year um that is quite helpful to get a good um judgment about what um what kind of load the body has already had in in the past and that is quite interesting to see. And then also to talk about the uh, to talk with the athletes about his experience. So, if you see with the uh, with the young athlete uh, of twenty years that he trained already weeks of thirty hours, um, so thirty uh, training hours a week, and but that he tells you, yeah, there were different phases when I was really really tired and I could not move and I I I was I recovered really badly or whatever or perhaps some kind of injuries or some kind of um getting sick uh, more often than usual perhaps you then already see okay yeah so a big gap between what is good for him and uh, what uh, what what he did in the past and then you have to make that adaptation also on the other way around if you had a 30 year old athlete and um for sure you expect already a really high training level um when you look at the, the past data you can see perhaps already what you can take out of this. And on the other side, see some yeah, mistakes. It's always uh, a bad word, but see some something that went, went perhaps wrong and you can, you can learn from that. Um, and that's why I 
the information from the past they are not uh, they are not my main decision maker but they give me already some input so the first when i meet at least the first time we talk really a lot perhaps hours um about how he felt in the past perhaps what uh, what what he did where he see himself um, or what he thinks about uh, could be good for him and i try then to bring this this picture together and in the end i my goal is to make the athlete understand what happens in the last years so why he was perhaps successful or why he was perhaps not successful and then to show him up okay that's the way how we want to continue for example i had uh, now with the cyclist got a new rider um who was who was already successful uh, last year with with some wins um, and who told me okay he was used to train quite shortly and hard and um he did this now the last two years and this was really a game changer for him so um he he had the feeling that um he he got better with this and that he was not so good in the past um Yeah, and then you have to analyze this. You see this, you see that, yeah, for sure, he had some reduced training, perhaps not the volume that you would do with him to bring him on, uh, to, or to bring or to keep him on a world, um, world tour level. Um, but then you, um, you bring in your, your knowledge and you, t you can tell him, okay, listen, that, that works for sure for one or two years. But if you continue on that way, this will happen uh, with your metabolism. This will happen with your endurance. So, Perhaps you have to go back to an, a system that you feel was not so so successful with going up with the hours and uh, changing a little bit. But this is better, or this is really necessary that you can continue on that level your career. And um, if you then you can explain him also um, why perhaps we change, why we go up with the hours, why we change from twenty five or from twenty going to twenty five up to thirty. And having more training sessions and more consistency than he had in the past, and um, he still has, yeah, he has to believe in this. But you can explain why you, why you're changing something that was quite successful. And it, it's not always like this. It's not always that you change something, but um, there are sometimes um, situations where you see, okay, we have to change this um, and to to continue to be successful or, or to get successful. And with a 30-year-old um, athlete who has a lot more experience, perhaps you have to explain more and to be more convinceful about what you want to change uh, than with a 20-year-old athlete who, yeah, who is at the beginning of his career and who is really looking for for the input and who, who um, yeah, who will in general follow you Uh, or follow you in the first months and see what what's going to happen and i think this is the the main difference the the high experience level from the older athletes compared to the young um not so experienced athletes who who will just do perhaps not ask too much questions he will just do and the older athlete will perhaps ask more questions Mm. And and fi final question or follow up on on this topic of maximum adaptation, uh, how do you think that it applies to age groupers? Because for age groupers, we're nowhere near, I guess, our the limit uh, because of other things, jobs, families, etc. So, but but what are the things that that we can take away and maybe apply uh, as it pertains to this topic? Um, I think with the age group, but. Um... We have um, the de facto, most of the age group, but they, they are following a normal job. So they have not so much time to train. So there it's really, um, and that's, you have to consider. So when you build up the training plans, uh, 
on one hand you you see okay what was what did he in the past uh, perhaps we can up from five to ten percent on it putting some little bit more volume or intensity or whatever but we always have to take care on the other side about this stress factor what is around the sport so um, always to deal with this and to see okay what I uh, tell for the, the, um, the high performance athlete that you need consistency in training is also true for the age trooper. So perhaps it's better to train a little bit less and to get not sick and not injured and to be uh, to be able to deal better with this external stress as to try to go hard on on, on, on different sessions. And then, um, um, yeah, you got the problem with your immune system. You got sick, you got stressed. Um, you don't enjoy what you're doing there. So there it's, it's even more difficult to find uh, there the right uh, the right the right load and with load I don't not mean only the training but I mean the whole the whole picture so the whole family work uh, training and everything what is linked to this uh, to this per to this person because it, all of this has an influence on the performance on the outcome and as a coach you have yeah to consider this it's not that you can just train you train uh, plan your training and that's it you have also to consider the other way around so you're a little bit more like a a manager in that situation uh, and with elite athletes it's it's easier if they have if this, that sport is their job then for sure it's on the first place and it has yeah they make it possible what is necessary to to do for the training or for the recovery yeah yeah that, that makes sense and uh and the consistency that you mentioned there that that can i guess all almost be used as a as a proxy for maximum adaptation at least when you look at it from a from a long-term perspective so so that's why in in the short term you might want to reduce training to to make sure that in the long term you have the most amount of consistency that is important and um, to mention also one situation with wage group when they go to training camps now in general they go up with the training volume uh, uh, they double it or even more in the training camps uh, for one or two weeks. And in some point, it's it's okay to go up like this. Um, but uh, you have also there to take care uh, that uh, that you are not overdoing it there, that you're not saying, okay, no, I have two weeks where I can just focusing on training and then doing the double of, of it. Um, the, the, the body can compensate this to a certain point, but at one point it, it's not able to compensate. And then you come back from the training camp and you get sick and then you are one week out of the training and then nearly half of the effect is already gone. So that is a really dangerous situation for age group athletes in the training camp to find there the right load because they have more time and uh, think, okay, now I paid to get to the south. Now I have to train a lot and use every second. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's not so, uh, it's, it's challenging to, to find there the, the right amount. For sure, the... When you look at the percentage that you are doing more in the training camp, so the, what the age group of athlete is doing more in training camp compared to the professional, there's a bigger difference for sure. Um, but still, it's not that you can just go to to the maximum limit and, and and think that your body will just not react on this on a bad way. But it it, it will react, and you have to take care of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was actually the the episode before this was on training camps. So, uh, so okay. listeners okay. that haven't haven't listened to it can go and, and listen to that. Uh -huh. uh, so, so let's move on to to the next uh, topic, which is on structuring training over the course of a season. And and for example, to make it a bit more concrete, we can for example consider that 
an athlete is training for for an Ironman event, let's say Kona uh, or or whatever. That is like the the main goal. So so what? Uh, how would you structure the training or a season from a high level perspective, leading up to an event like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um... In general, I, I have a structure. Um, I start with oh, oh, the, the priority is first at the beginning of the se- season. The priority is higher on technique, so it doesn't matter if it's um, now uh, swimming, running, or, or on the bike. So technique. Then we are working on 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 speed, strength, and then economization. So that's some kind of um, the big the big bricks in in that wall uh, for the build up. And um, you could also, uh, from when we look from the metabolic side, it's also so. So during the technique phase, you just come back to training. So you just get you, uh, your body um, used to training. So to get back to regular training, to to build up the the, the muscular structure to make them ready. Uh, and then um, generally, we are working on on the maximum um, oxygen uptake. So some VO two max training, uh, and this is. When I, that's why I mentioned on one hand, one hand speed, on the other hand, VO2 max. So the one thing is the metabolic, what is going to happen from the metabolic side. And the other thing is what's really happening on the field. So uh, if we're working on VO2 max intervals and run, for example, or we do them uh, as hill reps, or we do them in the flat, if you do some 200 meters uh, intervals, for example, um, it's also some, some kind of speed work. So you're working on the speed. And um, then comes the um, a long period where, where where strength and strength endurance where they take a, a big part of, of of the training, and then eight weeks before eight to twelve weeks before the the main competition, um, you should use what you build up before to and and make it economically. So try to teach your body to get the best out of it, but in a really economical way. When we talk about um, um, Ironman training, and that is uh, in some simple words how I, how I'm doing the build up with nearly all of my uh, long distance athletes. For sure, you have some differences in, from um, some athletes who are already more or who have more strength from nature, or who have more more speed from nature, or who who have more prob- problems to make um, to um, to work economically. So perhaps there you. You shift a little bit, so you you give more importance to one of these uh, of these phases. But in general, that that is some kind of a build up, and it's not that I do it from day one to race day. But we repeat this kind of cycles um, several times in the preparation to the to the Ironman. And for this, we're using, for example, some half Ironman races in the preparation. For example, two half Ironman races, two seventy point three races, up to the Ironman, and to these seventy point three races, we do this cycle every time. So we continue. We start with technique, speed, strength, economization, and then at some point comes the race, recovery, and then we start again with this cycle. And then comes the race, and then we start again. So there are in general two to three cycles until the main race that are built up on a quite similar way. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, with, with the economization phase, uh, I think that that uh, you that assumes I assume that that refers to like you do quite a lot of race pace uh, specific training in in that phase. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's um, some some ra um, yeah some race pace training, but also uh, below race pace. So this yeah what you could call perhaps sweet spot training on, on the on the bike um, or on the run. It doesn't matter. Um, also to to train the the fat oxidation. So this uh, yeah long runs, long long rides where you um, teach your body to use the energy from the from the fat acids. Um, this is also some kind of um, yeah, economization so that the body gets used to this and for sure we are uh, for long distance uh, triathlon there we are also using this kind of race pace efforts because it's good to teach the muscles to work for a longer time in that intensity zone and on the other side it's not so stressful it's not like if we are talking about olympic distance triathlon where for sure if you go uh, a lot of time in race pace you will just be exhausting in the training so that's it's a, it's a different approach um but when we're talking about long distance training there the metabolic impact of race pace is less higher than uh, uh, when we're talking about the high intensities that we have on on shorter distances yes yeah and, and can you just give a couple of of examples of workouts that you might do in each phase it doesn't matter which discipline if you take the the swim or the bike or the run but just to give the listeners some examples of what a typical workout for the technique phase, the speed VO2 max phase and, and the strength phase might, might look like. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think we can, um, it makes it perhaps easier to focusing on, on one discipline for, uh, for example, um, when we take the, the run. So, uh, in the technique phase, what we are doing there is in one point, we, we build up the, the easy endurance run. Um, but in this endurance run, for example, we run 10 minute warm up or 15 minutes warm up, then doing some technical exercise. Um, so I think, uh, the listeners, they, they know there are a lot of running technique exercise that you can do. So, um, we, uh, we, we have a, a, an, a catalog of, I don't know, 30 or 40 different exercises. And then I tell the others, okay, during this one, you run 10 minutes, then you're doing two to two of three exercises about 10 seconds um first with a with a low speed of um, so first you're really focusing on how to do it and then we go up with the speed um so with the speed of of executing the the, the exercise then you continue your easy run and and so on so you build in your easy runs you build in some technical exercises so that is not just yeah we go for a uh, long run so we go for running but we we use this run um to to um yeah to be really um focused on on the technique and also to break the rhythm with this with these exercises so um or i give a topic for one and say okay it's an easy run but the topping is to keep your hip in a good position or to stay really straight or to lean a little bit forward or whatever so give or to have a, a high frequencies in your in your strides so there's a topic and then there are also some exercises from this topic in the in the easy run for sure we are also doing just easy runnings but um that's um in the technique phase and then we are working with really short intervals about 50 meters 60 meters up to 100 meters where we are going already or where we teach the body already to run to run fast but on a really short short section because um that's i don't know which which uh coach this said some uh, somewhere about how do you want to run or how uh how do you want to run fast over 10k if you're not able to run probably fast over over 100 meter so that's why 
just focusing on these short distances because you you teach your body to 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 use a good technique to run fast um you have only short intervals so no big risk of um of um of injuries you can um you can um you have some some really a good possibility to to um to build in some technical exercises and uh, it's also really nice for the athletes to do this kind of, of training and uh, from there on we go over to um yeah uh, we are doing some speed and vo2 max training so the vo2 max training um just a favorite session um and i think a lot of coaches uh, notice and like it is to do some kind of hill reps so 30 seconds uphill with uh, 30 to one minute uh, easy and doing for example three sets of eight times 30 seconds uphill runs and trying to reproduce always the same effort so it's important that you're not going all out the first 30 seconds but that you that you are able to produce the same intensity from the first 30 seconds to the last ones and um, working on on the vo2 and if you're doing this in the flat um, what is also possible so the exact exactly the same set but in the flat on a straight on a straight road or some athletes prefer the track but i'm not so the big fan of the track i'm like more to do it just on on the street on a, on a straight line there you can also do this kind of intervals and there you're also working on speed because um yeah if you want to go in the view to max area you need to go on a certain speed and um but but for me it's really important to tell the athletes that the technique so what we are learning in phase one is has always uh, still a big priority so it could be that i see in a set okay um the technique gets worse or it gets worse uh, then we stop it there even if for the metabolic impact it would be better to continue because we need more impact but the beginning of the season or in the first weeks it's important to yeah to stop there and to give the body also the possibility for the adaptation to because perhaps you can keep it for for two sets you can keep the core stability for two sets but you are not ready for three so it's also some kind that you have um, where you have to wait until you are ready to really fulfill this the sets in general it happens because you build up this kind of set so it happens with the build up but it could be that one of the systems of your body is, is not ready for it and then you have to to reduce or even to to uh, change the section and then when we go to to strengths um there um we also like to um so there we have different sessions also one session is uh, long uphill ones uh, a classic one is for example four to five times 2k's uphill um intensity just below threshold and um trying to focus in there to keep the body stable not to overdo it because that's quite important that you're not going on high intensity there but that you keep it like i said under threshold or just going to threshold and um then um so this is one typical one typical session for sure you have to build up this so it's not that you're going uh, four or five times 2k uphill just from from no nothing but you you prepare this with two or three repetitions and then go on it's also a, a session that is really good to do on the treadmill because the advantage is that in the recovery you, you can just go down with the treadmill and uh, run four minutes uh, easy and then go up with the treadmill uh, when you are when you do it outdoor yeah then you have to go down the hill and um, <laughs> what is uh, also an impact and it's it's quite a higher impact than if you would do it on the treadmill um, 
but also this you can use so in the, later in the season you can do, use this uh, um this kind of downhill training uh, also to have some adaptation in muscles just as yeah, the point yeah. and uh, yeah and then the economization phase it's uh, what i said it's about long runs it's about um, going in, in race pace for example one two so 1k race pace 2k easy for example over a long run over over 20 25 k's and uh, that would be one typical session also for for working on the economization perfect and you said that you cycle through these two or three times probably maybe depending on the, what the season looks looks like with other races but just as an example after the off season when you do the first cycle of these four phases how long for example might the the different phases be the first time that you cycle through them how long is the technique phase and then the speed phase and uh, etc mm -hmm. um so i think to better understand it to the listeners the length of the phase changes during the period so at the beginning every phase is uh, is longer so there when we start the technique phase is in general about um, let me say three weeks three to four weeks then we come to the um, to the speed phase that goes again um, also over three to four weeks the strength phase is in general about um, with the recovery were seven to eight weeks and then comes the economization phase that has the same nearly the same length again so around around this it, it depends a little bit on the goals how long how much time you have but then when you have the first competition then you go um the, the phase the length of the phases get shorter then perhaps we say okay during the recovery of the first competition we start with the technique phase that is only two weeks then the speed one um We, we shorten it also to two, two and a half, and um, so on. So that, that's something you have to adapt. So at the beginning of the season, it's every phase has this, its biggest length, and then um, it, uh, it changes. Or it could change when we have a deficit in some area. Uh, so that I say, okay, with this athlete, he has enough speed, so we have to work more on, on strength or more on the economization or the other way around. If we see that, the speed yeah, that there's not enough speed, um then it could be that we we change yeah but in um that's just a, a general approach yeah that, that makes sense and and finally how do you build in recovery you mentioned there that after the race the technique phase forms natural recovery but do you have for example when you have a big block of speed followed by strength do you have weeks that are easier recovery weeks or Uh, or just recovery days, or, or how, how do you work that into the plan? Mm -hmm. um, that is a, a little bit different from athletes to athletes. So I have athletes where we follow a clear structure. Uh, what I mean with classical structure, like, for example, two weeks of workload, one of recovery, or three weeks of of uh, growing uh, growing volume, and then one week recovery. Uh, with, with one week recovery, I mean, yeah, seven days where... Uh, we go on low, lower volume where the first day of the weeks are yeah no intensity no no big volume just easy sessions so really time to recover and the second block of the week there we um we in general work on on al already again on the technique or having some kind of of mixture about technique and speed seeing um um yeah it depends a little bit on how fast the athletes recover But that we start again to work on the speed, but with a really low amount. So the the volume always stays 
on a low level for the deadbolt, but the quality, let me call it like this, the quality or the speed goes up then at the second part of the week with some uh, small, for example, in the run, 100 meter run or 200 meter runs or um, yeah, some some small speed exercises. And uh, But with other, other athletes, um, sounds perhaps a little bit strange, but we doing recovery when the body needs it. So uh, we... We have a big big training block, let me say, of uh, six to eight weeks, and then when we see that um, that um, that uh, that, uh, that the feeling of the athlete does not correspond to what we we expect in training, or that he's far away from performances that he should be able to do even in a fatigue state, then we implement some days of of easy training to recover and then go again. So there we don't follow a, 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 always the same structure, but we adapt to how the body is really responding because, um, yeah, that's, um, but that is only for really experienced uh, athletes who really knows, who can give good feedback, who really knows good their body and that you coach already for some for some years. So when I start to work with a new athlete, in general, I'm I start with a really structured, um, good structure or a, a standardized structure of loading and recovery, and from there on we are moving over the years to a more to a structure that is really more linked to, uh, yeah, we try to go up with to bring it to the limit as much as possible, and 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 and, and, and stop at the right point. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a, a very smart approach. So let's, uh, let's dive deeper into the different disciplines and, uh, and perhaps we, we keep the theme of uh, these discussions on, on long distance triathlon because the differences could be quite potentially quite significant for, for short distance. So, so if you start with, with the bike, perhaps, uh, what are your thoughts on how to structure bike training? Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, the, the phases that I mentioned before, uh, is, uh, a little bit the same for, yeah, for nearly, uh, for nearly all the sports that is, um, also for the bike training like this. So, um, it depends a little bit on, um, on the amount of the other training because bike training, the, the big advantage of the bike training in general is that you can do a good, good aerobic training, a lot of volume there. And, um, without having the risk to get some, some big injuries in general. Um, so if I have an athlete, uh, where, the, um, perhaps the, um, the, 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 uh, who, has, who, who deals with, uh, in the past with more, with more injuries coming from running or where the, um, the bio, the, the, the biomechanical, um, um, we call it, uh, so where is um uh where we, we we have more problem to real to realize a lot of running training uh for sure you you are using also the bike for compensating some aerobic training and with this athlete it's different than with uh um with general triathletes that i train so in general my training approach is that we are building up the three disciplines on a quite same level. So it's not that we're just saying, okay, we are focusing on the run or focusing on the bike or on the swim, but trying to have the quite parallel approach for sure. Uh, when the athletes gets, um, um, tired during training, um, perhaps we reduce, uh, the run on the swim and we're still able to do a good work on the bike. Uh, but in general, the approach is to, to, um, 
to develop the three disciplines uh, quite in a similar way. So in the bike training, we start with uh, with, with short rides, with some kind of uh, with a, some kind of cadence work. So working in different cadence areas, high cadence, low cadence, cadence uh, changes. When the athletes are training on the roller or even on, on outside, we are working on on one leg exercises. But um, in general, we we work a lot with with cadence. What I want to achieve there is that the motoric pattern uh, or the the possibilities or the abilities of, of the athletes are quite big, even if we will never pedal at 120 or 130 cadence. But if we give the brain a bigger range of uh, what he can what it can do, then there's also a higher possibility to work more efficiently in the area that he that that the athlete will use in the uh, in the competition, so it's just about creating some new connections in the brain, uh, having a higher possibility. It's like like a VO2 max. If you have if you train your VO2 max, it's a higher possibility that you can also use it in the end and use a higher uh, or produce more power in the end uh, in in the race. And uh, it's not just about the economization, but it just first we open up the engine. What we are doing with VO2 max and with this cadence work, we are opening up, building up some more connections some uh, some big uh, uh, yeah neural stimulus and from there on we we go uh, we continue to work so some cadence work then speed is um yeah, sprinting short uh, short efforts in training for example doing easy doing the easy runs telling the athletes okay every 20 or 30 minutes do a six second sprint out of the saddle in the saddle um working on on uh, a little bit on the bike technique so on technical parts um, this is all part of the of the first phase on the bike. And, Can I ask um, about sprinting? Is that also for this neuromuscular development and, and motor patterns? That for that is that the reason that you want even long distance triathletes to to practice sprinting? And yeah, it's uh, for this, but also to activate the the um, fast twitch muscle fibers because uh, when the when the slow twitch muscle fibers they, when they get tired or when you come at, at a certain amount of your VO two. Uh, so if you produce a certain amount of power, you will also use the fast twitch muscle fibers. And if they are not trained because you never train them, yeah, you have a problem. So it's uh, <laughs> that's why we uh, we are also training them in in training. And um, another uh, effect is when you're doing this kind of sprinting is you have an like we know uh, an yeah. Let me take an, an, an old term for it is non-lactate efforts with six to six to eight seconds uh, during an easy ride. You oxygen uptake during that goes a little bit up. You continue your easy ride and still your oxygen uptake uh, at the moment is, is a little bit higher than it would be if you just um, um, continue the easy riding. So it's also a good method to make more efficient the, this, uh, this long aerobic endurance ride and to bring some some changes in training, but uh, the main reason for it is really also to activate this fast switch muscle fibers to train them and also to train them after four or five hours in the bike, for example, so that they get used to, to load too. And uh, that they not, not just because in, in some point in the race, they will get activated. And when they are activated, and that, that does not mean that you will do a sprint in the race, but they are just activated because the muscle is using for more, uh, more recruitments, more supply to be able to keep the effort. And that's why you, um, yeah, we train that. Yeah. And then um, 
from from this we go to strengths strengths i would sweep it in, in two parts one uh, is doing short efforts with the quite uh, yeah in the anaerobic um in the anaerobic zone for example um two times five times one minute with a big gear over threshold so with a quite high impact so working really on 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 strengths you can compare it a little bit when you go to the gym and doing um perhaps 20 repetitions for 20 repetitions you also need perhaps one minute and at the end of the 20 repetitions you feel that your muscles are burning um just to describe it quite easily and a little bit like this we uh, were working then also on the bike um, and from this we then the next step is to do this quite classical efforts with low gear work over a longer period for example three to six times 10 minutes uh, big gear around 40 to 60 cadence and um, intensity uh, just a little bit under threshold um, and there we are working on uh, don't call it strength endurance but call it perhaps uh, endurance strength and uh, from the metabolic side uh, yeah reducing uh, the lactate building rate so also working on the on the economization and um so that's that's then also a main part of the training not every training for sure that's that's quite important um, to understand when we're talking about these different training phases that does not mean that we are not using some some other training sessions when we are talking about speed training it's not that every session is a speed session for sure we are also doing just easy aerobic training but the goal or the this, 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 what we want to develop in this part is is this and when we are on the force endurance uh, section then it's what we want to develop is the force endurance is the better uh, and a reducing of the lactate building rate and then economization is like we talked already at the beginning um, there when we go to race pace efforts so try to to use the capacity that we build up during the the weeks before in the in your during race pace efforts yeah, yeah, a couple of questions about about cadence there. First, uh, when you talked about increasing the the comfortable range that that we can handle, uh, and and but then you can, I guess, it, well, you didn't say that actually. So my question is, do you basically let the athlete self select cadence for the their races, whatever that may be, or or is there a range that you think is more effective in racing as well that you try to steer the athletes towards? Mm -hmm. um a really long time i um so when i started working i let them really do so we observe what's happening at different cadences also observing their self-selected cadence and uh, often it's it's the right cadence so it's the cadence where they are working more economically um so that's why it's not so often the case that you say okay we completely change it but um, it could be, uh, for example, when an athlete comes from a, a short distance triathlon and changes to long distance triathlon that um, um, I have one example in mind. When you have a really high cadence during racing, what could be good on the short distance to say, okay, uh, perhaps the athletes save a little bit uh, more the legs, so, so the more the muscles there, um, that this could be that he needs too much energy for the long distance triathlon if he continues to use this this high cadence that could be the case um uh, and it's also not so easy to change it then from one day to another um but um you will always uh, for example try it, uh, when we're doing a set of race pace intervals let me say doing 
I don't know, six times, 10 minutes race pace, um, doing it at different cadences, measuring perhaps lactate, measuring heart rate, but also the feeling, seeing the speed, and then um, decide, okay, what could be the right race pace for, for the athletes. But it's not that I say, okay, every athlete has to go at 85 or 70 uh, or 90 um, revolutions per minute. So we try to find some individual um, cadence for for every athlete. Right. And and then for the for the force endurance work, you, you mentioned, for example, doing intervals between 40 and 60 RPM and and you see different different approaches. You see some prescribing sessions that are below seventy RPM, or even some consider below eighty RPM as as force endurance. Uh, what, what's the reason for in the example that you gave using forty sixty, and uh, what's the general thought process there of how to select cadence for that type of low cadence work? I think it's also some kind of a little bit definition because if we're talking about strengths, uh, we always must see, okay, which, how much muscles fibers or how much percent of the maximum uh, possible strengths is activated. And when we are working uh, with, for example, um, or uh, yeah, or when we are working, for example, with um, 80, uh, 80 K, so 80 revolutions per minute and producing there some effort around threshold, um, and we, if you would measure how much how much percentage of of really uh, power or of force you you need, you will be uh, quite uh, um, 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 so uh, you will not be around eighty or ninety percent of the maximum power that you are able to produce. What is in general defined, for example, as strength endurance training. Even with the fifty RPM, you are not so uh, you are uh, away from that. So. Um, if we are working with 80 RPM and we have just to ask us, okay, are we really doing strength training there or are we just really changing the kind of muscle fiber or the, the, the capacity of the muscle fiber? So are we just changing the, the way how the muscle fibers are working? And I think that's only a definition um, uh, thing. It's not that I say, okay, this training method is better than the other, um, but every training has some kind of adaptation uh it's always the question of what is adapted at the end uh or for example this kind of training with 50 to 60 rpm they did this already i don't know 50 or 60 years ago so a long time ago or when when they start when coaches see okay there are some improvements in in performance okay we are doing this and they call it strength endurance training but um in the end it's it's hard to really to say what what is really happening there, and uh, what you can do is that you were measuring the torque, so not looking at the at the watts or the power, but at the torque. And when we are looking at the torque, and when we're doing eight RPMs uh, at threshold, and comparing this to fifty RPMs at threshold, you will see that the difference is torque is is is, is huge, and the torque is is the is the strength. Is the what how much strength you really really apply to the pedal, and uh, that's the difference between the different um, RPMs. And and the torque that's something just to make it practical, I guess, for somebody somebody who is curious and want to try it. You, you can select that as a data field on your Garmin or your your head unit if you go out and do a session, can't you? I haven't checked, but I think that you can. Yeah, yeah, you can do this, and you can also then make an evaluation. For example, in in Golden Cheetah, 
And uh, if listeners uh, are interested, just compare when you go at Treasures and look at the talk there. And um, because, um, yeah, there are also, um, I have also some good talks with other coaches about something called like critical talk. So where where is the talk, the talk value that where you get the problems? So not the, not the what's, not the power, but the talk. And um, it's, a, it's a quite interesting topic. And I think when you are doing strength training on the bike, um, to have this data field talk is, is really interesting because then you see really how much power you apply and you can control your training over talk and not over over the watts. You can There's always even, uh, for sure a possibility to calculate from the watts and the cadence to the talk back, um, but it makes it easier if you see it on the screen and see, okay, now I go on 50 talk or on 60 talk or uh, on 80, whatever you, you want to do. Yeah, definitely. So what about the the swim? I think that the run we already covered pretty well. Or, or do you have anything that you want to add? Any any additional thoughts on, on run training uh, in, in general, in addition to what you already talked about? Mm. No, in, I think the, the most, um, the, the biggest problem in running, are, uh, especially when you come to high volumes or intensity, are, is, is uh, um, the kind of injuries that you can get so that you have to be really careful um, um, about, about this to not risk injuries, to be careful about the, 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 um, the static, um, uh, and don't, don't, don't find the right word in our talk today for this. I'm looking for one word, <laughs> the biomechanical, um, but perhaps it comes later, but, um, so that's the, that's the main point for, for the run. So to keep the athletes healthy and uh, to understand his, um, his, what, what load is, is good for him. And also to work together with physiotherapists, with perhaps an athletic coach on uh, on on aesthetic, on 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 yeah, on on making the body ready to be able to um, to uh, to deal with with the load. I think that's the main the main problem with running. And and also there, go if you want to go uh, uh, fast in training, you can do it perhaps on the bike. At some point, if you're used to, you can do it on the swim, but it's hard to go up with volume or intensity with really big steps in running. If you are doing this and when, if you look back in uh, injury history, injuries often happens when we have some kind of um, impact jumps in the run. So um, generally happen there. And so that is something we have to, to avoid. So, and so, um, yeah, sorry, go on. No, that's, that, that's what I just want to add with the run. Oh, we okay. have to take care of this. And, yeah. Before we go on to the swim training, that uh, triggered a question that uh, that I want to ask as well with uh, the intensity versus or and volume debate, so to say. Where do you stand on on that spectrum? Oh, I I don't want to put me on one of the both of them of the fields because I think oh, I, I I believe that. Intensity and volume are important for training, for training adaptation. It depends always on what you want to, which kind of adaptation you want to have and at what point your athlete is. Um, so uh, we can, uh, for, for the listeners, we can make it perhaps easy. We have, when we take the aerobic and the anaerobic system and we have to deal with both system and say, okay, how much of what, uh, uh, where's the athlete for the moment? So do we have to focusing more on the on the aerobic system or on the anaerobic system because we know that both systems are working against each other at some point? So um, 
I know there are also some short and intensive sessions that are working on the aerobic system for sure also, but in general, it's, it, it's like this. Uh, we have just to see, okay, where is the athlete for the moment? So he's in a state one, uh, A. I want to bring him to state B for the competition. And what do I have to do to get there? And it's not about, okay, I just want to do short training with high quality or with high intensity or doing just long training with low intensity. But it's just about, okay, which training tool do I now need to get from A to B? And I, I'm, yeah, I, I am not in one of these, uh, or I don't want to make one of the discussions what is better. It's just what is, what do we need to get to the, to the point? For sure, if you take and if you change something, so if you have an athlete who trained a lot shortly with high intensity and you change this to a training regime with higher volume, just going easy, but high volume, he will get better because it's something new. It's a new, uh, new it's a new impact. It's, it's the body reacts on this and he will get better and the other way around too. So just an athlete who's just doing easy training the whole time, a lot of volume. Uh, and then bring him to uh, some short intensity training. It's a little bit the example that I mentioned with the with the cyclist, um, with a new cyclist that I have. For sure, he will also get better because the body gets a new stimulus that he didn't that he didn't get in the past. And if you don't overdo it, you will get a positive reaction, and is even stronger with age group athletes. And um, so that's. But it's not about this is good and this is bad. It's always about. Which adaptation do I want to have? And which are the tools that I have to, to get there? Yeah, that, that's a great answer. And, and I need to figure out a better way to ask the question because I don't want anybody to, to have to put themselves on, on one side of the spectrum or the other because that's not the point of the question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so swim training then, if, if we walk through the different phases and, and the, the key points uh, other than that as well that you see with swim training. Um, some, uh, some, some key points from the swim training. Um, I think in the swim training is one of the, yeah, when we look at the three disciplines, it's the most technical discipline in one, on, on one point. So, um, there are, uh, if I can choose, um, for example, in my situation with my triathletes, I have the, the bad situation that I cannot be, um, on deck with my athletes because, uh, yeah, I, I'm working for the cycling team and that's my, my main job there. Um, but I, if I can choose where, uh, to have a coach at which sessions, I would say, okay, in the swim session, um, because in the swim session, there's a lot of technique going on. There's also a big influence from the other disciplines. If you get tired and go to the swim, yeah, you have a different position in the water. And at some point it's uh, just for, not for nothing, but it's, it's a completely different swim that the athlete is doing when he's too tired and he could, it could change. Uh, or it, it it makes the situation not better, but even worse. Yeah, it's better to say, okay, go out of the pool and we, we continue tomorrow. Um, what you in general don't have in this kind of on the, on the bike and only at some points in the run. So on one point, swimming quite technical. So you should have there a good, um, a good support from, uh, from a coach. Uh, and on the other side, it's about, um, I think that's something Joel also mentioned. Um, you don't have, so compared to the other uh, disciplines uh, in long distance, you have 3.8 K swimming. So I just say an hour. I know for the professional less and perhaps for some more, um, an hour of, of, of the competition. So it's not that you will focus 
the whole training on swimming. So uh, you have to find the right balance between how much swimming is necessary, but also enough so that I can train and run and, uh, and on the bike. And um, so there, um, it's really important that, that your swim training is efficient. With efficient, I don't mean going on, on low volume and high intensity. I mean that you should have a, a technique that allows you to make this 4 or 5K or 3K or whatever you're doing in a session quite efficient and, and focusing on the main on the main thing. So not using too much time with um, playing around, but really yeah, focusing on the stuff that is important. If you compare to swimmers, for sure, they have more, more time, more sessions, to focusing on some small details and it is something in triathlon that is um, you can do it at the beginning of the season but after yeah you need to focus on on, on the main thing and um, there we come back to uh, to uh, to my um, periodization when you call it like this the beginning we're focusing on the technique but then we try to get the speed the strength and the economization for for the race what is necessary and um, so my main advice there is just try to have there a good coach on your side or to go to a swim group where you get feedback from outside uh, at some point um, and not just swimming for years alone. Uh, and um, yeah, the biggest improvement there will come from, from outside, not only from having training programs and doing the training programs, but also for getting some kind of, of feedback from outside. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That being said, I'm going to ask you about the the workouts, ex example workouts for the different phases for the swim as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, should I uh, tell you? Or? Yeah, yeah. If you can walk okay. through the technique okay, so, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. speed. And... Uh -huh. Yeah, um, in the in the first phase, in the technique phase, this is um, it's like in the run. There are so much training. Oh, there are so much technique exercises that you can do in the swim. Um, I think it's important to focusing, um, um, or we have to think about what will we do in the competition. It's an open water swim. So it's not all about, um, having the best position in the water at the, at, at normal conditions or putting the hand exactly like this in the water. It's more about, um, I think like this, being able to catch enough water, what you can push behind. Um, so that you have, that you really feel that you, that you, um uh that, or, that, or that you really understand what you are doing so what you are doing is you want to to produce an effort that brings you forward for this you have to push back a lot of water uh, and so to give some kind of exercises that you feel this that you get this feeling it's not about the, the really sensitive one but it's really about um feeling the difference for example if you go slowly through water or fast through the water so what or change with the speed of your arm um, and, and get some, some experience in the water about uh, the, um, yeah, about the, how you can produce um, force that brings you forward. And there are yeah, a lot of exercises, this from easy exercises up to um, with some, some, um, some uh, s small, uh, small pedals, the bigger pedals, which not mean that you should go uh, the, all the time on the on pedals. It's just to, to give you a feeling about different pressures in water, different, um, yeah, to, to feel really how you can produce this force that brings you forward. And um, so working on this, working on the technique, working on speed, so also being able to to swim short, fast, um, fast intervals. Um, 
And um, then a, a big point is is uh, for sure the strength. I for sure pedal work has um, has with a lot of people a good impact. Um, but also there we have to be careful um, at the point because you see a lot of age group athletes wearing big pedals, but at the end they are not able to. To, to do the movement right. So they, they, they're using a, a big pedal, but at the end, when you would measure how much water they push away with this big pedal, it's quite a, a, a small amount because they are not able to have a, a quite good arm stroke. And for this, it's um, up to the coach to decide, okay, now it's, it's the point to come to this. So to 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 uh, to introduce, for example, pedal in, in, um, in the training um, because there are also other methods to work on, on strengths like, I don't know, using parachutes, using different pants, um, using different intensities where you're also working on, on strength. And um, for example, I, I like to work uh, when I work on strength, also there on on um, starting with short intervals, for example, 20 times 50 meters with um, a short rest of, um, let me say, 10, 10 seconds uh, and always focusing. It's not so much on on the speed, so on the time that comes at the end, but really focusing on pushing away as much water as as possible. Um, that is uh, one exercise for uh, for this. And the economy, economization there, we are working with uh, longer intervals. Longer intervals, I mean, four hundred to eight hundred meters um, intervals with uh, also their short short recovery because in the end we want to swim three point eight k's, but um, there are longer intervals uh, with progression. For example, the first 800 is easy, the second 800 is a little bit faster, the third 800 is a little bit over race pace. So three, three times 800 is a, is a setup that we are using quite, um, quite often. Um, and um, at some points uh, with some athletes, we are also using some kind of one hour swim. So just <laughs> one call is one hour testing, but just going one hour without without recovery but it is only some some point in the year just to do it so has some kind of reference but also it's a little bit for the head to uh to do this kind of swimming uh it's 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 nice to do it in the lake so like like in a competition um but also in the pool we we are doing this and um yeah it's it's also nice to see improvements for the athletes there in the pure endurance and then if you have the possibility to see also what changes in the swim over after 50 minutes to 30 minutes, 45 minutes, especially also in the, in the stroke. Um, so in the stro stroke frequency and in the speed and um, to compare this, to see how, how, uh, which impact the fatigue has on, uh, on the, on the technique on how to deal with the, uh, with the situation. And, um, so I want to keep it simple in the swim. That I think is, is the main message. Simple training, simple sets, sets that you can compare time by time. So repeating sets several times during the period or during the year, because like this also the training is quite transparent. And um, and it's always great if at the beginning of the year you, you're having a special set, you are able just to do it in a fresh condition, but then perhaps during the year, you are also able to do the same set, um, but already when you are, um, yeah, when you are fatigued from some other sessions, and it's, it's also the a big benefit. It's not always to be faster, but sometimes also to get to, to get, keep the same pace 
even with uh, with uh, with some fatigue. And um, yeah, so that's that's from my side from the swim in general with my athletes. I have to say, generally they have the situation, so they go at some swim training or they have a coach there with um, where I get the details or where I get the plans or can tell them, okay, uh, we want to do four Ks today, five Ks tomorrow. So that's a good situation that I have that um, all my triathletes are there under have support and I don't do this from distance. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So wrapping it up a bit into uh, a typical week and without focusing too much on what the content of the sessions are because that varies with the phase that you're in, but uh, just, I guess, in terms of the swimming, biking and running, how much swimming, biking and running might your athletes be doing and how would you structure them in, in the week with, with how many bikes, runs and swims, for example? Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, do you talk about professional athletes? Yeah, let's start with the, pro yeah, on the professional yeah, side. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, so um, with the professional athletes uh, for long distance, we have in one week about uh, four to five swim sessions. So in general, four and then, um, yeah, depending a little bit on the period, but four to five swim sessions. Um, in general, uh, we have with these athletes two days where we are doing uh, less training. Um, some people would call it recovery days, but they are training there. So there we have a little bit less training. Um, so a, a general week could look like in the swimming, like having a swimming from uh, Monday to, to Wednesday, uh, then with Thursday a day off. And then um, Friday and Saturday, if we have five sessions or just one of those days, if we have um, four sessions, but um, most of the cases we have, we have five swim sessions, even with the long distance athlete. And um, yeah, and there from, from these five sessions, we have two sessions uh, that are um, perhaps a little bit shorter about let's say four Ks with more, uh, focusing on on the goal of the week so if we have vo2 max we have vo2 max session if we have economization or treasure training it's more on that um so there we have let me call it the quality sessions um generally on tuesday and saturday and uh, then we have um uh, generally two easy sessions on the monday and friday and then it depends a little bit on the period um, if we have, for example, one session really long, so this, like in the run, like this long, long, the, the long one that everybody knows, it's also a long swim. Um, that is, uh, and generally then on, um, on, uh, on, uh, Wednesday. on Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday. And, and how long would yeah. that swim be, for example? For example, 6K, something like this. Yep. Yeah, and then we have the and, session. Uh, yeah. So and and then the bike, bike and the run. How how do mm -hmm. they fall into that week? Yeah. So um, the bike sessions um, we have in general also I would say five to six. So six sessions. If um, so, I talk about general training. It could sometimes be that we have two bike sessions in one day, but we don't talk about this. We're just talking about general plan. Then we have five to six um, per week. Um, with um, an generally an easy one on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we have a quality session. On Thursday, we have a long one. And then uh, Friday, perhaps an easy ride, depending on the period. When we have six sessions, then on Friday also a uh, 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 ride. 
and then um, Saturday in, in general also an easy run and Saturday uh, and Sunday or a long run or a quality one that depends a little bit on the face and uh, and uh, the number of of quality sessions then would be on the bike and run and swim combined how, how many usually yeah so it's quality sessions on on the on the swim in general two on the bike um two to maximum three but in general also two and in the run it's um it's a little bit the same like with the bike also two to three so perhaps if we have three in the run we have two on the bike and the other way around and but quality not always makes really full gas or something like this but this just mean not only easy riding or easy running it means okay there's some kind of tempo change or yeah some something more right. than just easy yeah and and uh, and the distribution of of time between disciplines like if you give an example of i don't know how many hours it might be but but how many hours would be spent riding running and swimming that is now uh yeah really specific um i mentioned um, early in, in our call it depends a little bit on the how much the athlete can run because uh, if you have an athlete who yeah a long distance athletes who are who got problem to manage more than for example 60 or 70k a week uh, what is not best but it's not not really a lot for for uh, for ironman distance uh, but there you um you try to get to your aerobic training with with the bike so there the bike amount is even higher but in general i would say um that you have um i have just to calculate because there's something i it's always uh, so individual uh, and now i try to find uh, to just calculate it in in general what it mean in in numbers yeah. Um okay, so we have five. So for the swim, when we have the five sessions, let's say uh, we have about perhaps one fifteen, so about let me say six to or six and a half hours swimming, then for the run we have the hundred um Perhaps for the run also six to seven hours, and then on the bike, twelve to fourteen. Just making, yeah, that could be yeah. So for the for the swim, um, about six six to seven hours. For the run, also uh, nearly the same. Perhaps um, sometimes a little bit more, about six to seven hours, and on the bike, twelve to fourteen hours. Then we are around. Um, 21 28 hours yeah then yeah. we have a little bit uh, the, um, the distribution of hours when we talk about the 20 hour week and for sure we are also doing some kind of athletic training or some athletes are doing strength training so strength training and athletic training with strength training i mean with weights and athletic training yeah what other people call core training um so um then in a week like this you would be around the the 30 hour of training Yeah. And then it, it changes a little bit on depending on the, um, the athlete and also depending on the training phase where you are in. And and just briefly for an age grouper that might have 10 to 15 hours to train and again focusing on long distance, what do you think that they should be doing? Again, this of course depends on the individual, but the general case. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there, if we take now, for example, 15 hours of training, 
I would make the distribution of, um, so I would reduce it perhaps to two, maximum three, three swim sessions, uh, two. So let me say about two hour or two and a half hour swim. Then on the one, um, perhaps four to four and a half and around eight hours on the bike. Now I have just to calculate what do we have? Five, seven. Yeah, yeah it's fits good. And, and how, so, how, many runs, how many runs and bikes would, would that be for those durations? Mm, for the ones, I would say we had about uh, three to four runs. Yep. Good. And for the bike, I would say um, three... Yeah, three sessions. Okay, yeah, uh, perfect. Now it, it's always very useful to to get get some examples, even though uh, all, all listeners are of course already aware that that individual cases are are different, but but it still gives sort of some reference points that that are always good to learn from. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a couple yeah, of I think I know we're... sorry, sorry, go on. Good. Um, um, I think it's just important. You have to do a, a big a big. Um... You have to put a lot of energy in the swim to get better in the swim. And that's why you always have to deal with how much does it brings me in the end and the longest time you have on the run and on the bike. That's why in general we cut. Yeah, I would uh, say, okay, cutting the other swim to two sessions and then had a little bit more time to um, more space for the other disciplines. And uh, I think that's uh, it's good because if you're doing three se- swim sessions, you have to go to the pool. You have to do, uh, it costs you a lot of time and the outcome you'll be talking about perhaps some minutes um, in a good case. And um, that's why I think if you have a, not so much time, it's good to reduce there. Yeah. Um, all right. So testing, uh, like uh, physiological testing and uh, and uh, that sort of thing, how do you recommend using it and how do you use the information that you, that you get from that? Mm-hmm. So um, first, if we're doing testing, you should also use the information to have an influence on the on the training, because um, if you're just doing testing to see yeah, to do the test, I think uh, it's it's the worst thing you can do with your athletes. So if you're doing a testing, um, some kind of metabolic testing, I think there are no, we can now talk a lot about what you can do. So, uh, but you are doing testing in the lab or on the field, it should always serve to see okay. Does my plan to come from state A to state B is on a good good uh, road? Or, for example, if I'm cons- focusing on go up with the VO2 max, is this on a uh, did it work or not? And if not, then it should have a consequence on uh, what I will do the next time or will what I will do uh, in the future. So when I'm doing testing, it's always to see um, what could be the next step and how did our work worked until un- until now. So to see which which kind of changes do we have, because on the other part the outcome we see we see does the athletes get does the athletes get faster is he able to push more watts is he able to swim faster, but what we sometimes don't see is how where does the performance come from, so how much of it is it really from the aerobic system and how much is it from the anaerobic system or what really got better was it just the economization, has he now a bigger engine, um, is it a mixture of both. Um, in the end, it, for the performance, for the end, it doesn't matter. Um, but um, right. um, for the end, it doesn't matter. But for a coach, it's quite uh, important to know 
to um, to decide about the next steps. Yeah, and it, it might matter for the athlete next year because then the coach learned what worked yeah. or did not work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, I, I, but some co- some athletes can really live good if you don't do any performance testing at all, as long as their performances are good. So it's not that they really need it. Um, so that's why when you do it as a coach, it's important that the athlete understand why you are doing it, and to keep it keep the amount so in a range that you are that they always see a link to this. So not just doing testing, 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 and it changes n- n- nothing, but that they see a link. Ah, okay, we did the testing. That's the result. Okay, and that's why we are going on like that. Yeah. Uh, do Do you think it's uh, as important for age groupers as it is for professional athletes, or or what's your take on that? Is there a difference? I think for um, at the beginning of the start of the training or after the first weeks, it's it's always good to have a starting point because age groupers they put a lot of, lot of energy in their training. They had a lot of of dreams of where they want to go, uh, what what they want to achieve. So it's always good to have a, st- a realistic starting point, and um, also to have an um, to to yeah to 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 better understand what they are doing there. So. For the for the age group athletes, I would always recommend to do some kind of testing after the first weeks of training to see their starting point, and then it's nice, yeah, at some point during the year to control what did all the work did with my my body with myself uh, from the winter until the middle of the season, and to have some kind of confirmation and to get some kind of information about um, how the training is going. It's it's really useful, for, especially if, if you have yourself as an athlete knowledge behind it or if you have a coach behind it. But for sure, it's not the main thing. It's not that you have really to do it and you cannot do triathlon without doing some kind of diagnostic. But it's it's really useful um, and sometimes it's more useful than to buy uh, the most expensive bike. Perhaps it's better to invest more in the in the body and to better understand his own body and to learn from it and perhaps to understand why a competition went good and, and perhaps went wrong and to learn, like you said, for the next year and to do the training more effectively and on a better way. And with the age group, we should never forget if you combine this with a medical check, um, you also see if, if you're healthy, if everything in the body is going in the right direction, if if your body is able to support the work. I think there are a lot of beneficial effects that you can have from performance testing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a few questions still. Uh, I know we're, we're running long already, uh, but uh, we're we're close to to wrapping it up here. But uh, one thing uh, that uh, I want to hear your thoughts about is uh, nutrition. Uh, so, like both in terms of during training, but also day to day nutrition. Do do you have any any thoughts on on that and and how athletes should be thinking about nutrition? So, um, nutrition. For sure, it's uh, it has an an importance. There are two sides. One side is the nutrition. So what what the nutrition strategy for training or uh, or wasting. Has, so for training, it could have an impact on how your training uh, is working. So um, or how the cells are reacting to the training. And the other side, um, for sure, nutrition also has a, an importance for yeah, for the recovery, for the well being, for yeah, for <laughs> for the daily life. Um, I think um, if you um, if you 
if you're uh, following a, a certain strategy there. So let me, I don't know, low carb, or uh, if you're saying um, I want to eat no, I want to eat no, no meat or vegetarian or whatever. So something that is away from eating a normal mixture of everything. So if you try to to develop a nutrition strategy for yourself, I think it's always beneficial to have one, a talk with a, um, with somebody, with a specialist, with a nutritionist or a coach who is involved in the topic. Because there there's no other topic on the market where there are so much changes and so much, um, uh, um, uh, so much uh, things that are not true that you can read in the internet or wherever uh, than in nutrition. For example, when when we when we look what people write about uh, low carb or even no carb the last years, and when you saw how much athlete destroyed their metabolism by just bringing this to the edge by perhaps not only following it but trying to make it really extremely, there's a quite a big danger um, to um, what you can do wrong with nutrition, and you can do more wrong with nutrition than right, and that's. <laughs> That's uh, that's uh, that's uh, my main message, uh, and with this I mean, for example, to stay with the low carb. It's not that low carb is something bad, uh, but low carb can be used as a strong stimulus in training. But if you are using low carb, and if you go hard on training and on intensity, and if you get sick several, all the, uh, several times during the year, and you're always thinking, ah, yeah, but uh, perhaps it was just too hard for me, but it's just coming from not getting the body what it needs. To, to bring that effort and to recover well, uh, then it could be that you put a lot of effort in your training and just destroying it by not eating what your body is needing to have the kind of adaptation that you are looking for. And um, I think a big, a, a big example is when you, for example, try to lose weight. And I, I saw this with athletes. They tried to lose weight, eat uh, didn't eat any carbs at all. And at the end, when they measure, they for sure they lose weight, but what they measure was they lose they lose uh, um, uh, muscle mass and even their fat percentage grow up and they didn't go went down. So it was a big um, for them a, a big mess to see that their nutrition strategy didn't work well. Even by looking at having enough protein, it, it happened, but it, just by changing, trying to change in their metabolism in a in a sport where carbohydrates when you're going on on high intensity is, is necessary for sure on long distance it's necessary that your body gets used to work with the fat oxidation so also is able to use or to 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 um to save the carbohydrate stores but um you have to take care there do uh, you have to have a, a strategy that that you have done together with somebody who is really deep in the topic and not that you read something in a magazine. I think you should do it uh, on your own. I think that's, yeah, like I said before, you can destroy more with, with bad nutrition that you can have an advantage of it. So, so, yeah. so do, do you, when you say that you can use it in training, it, does that refer to more limited periods, like even just on a like daily periodization or perhaps a, a block of a few weeks where you might have different nutritional strategies to, to improve? the fat oxidation in training or, or how do you work with it with with your athletes with nutrition yeah exactly exactly that's the, that's the truth it's you can you should use it during different um, periods or for example when you are doing this um, fat oxidation rights to say okay starting we are going the first one or two hours on on low carb 
um, so really a small amount of, of carbs, or even when you're more experienced on no carb, the first first hours, then starting again to eat carbs. There's a, the you can fix the amount of carbs you can take per uh, per per hour there during the training session. But it's a it's a training tool, so it's a tool that you are using, and you are also not doing all the time VO two max intervals or threshold intervals or whatever. You're just using it for some kind of adaptation in a special specific period, um, and like this, it's um, it's a strong tool and it works quite good. To when you work, for example, in the economization phase on these long runs or long rides, when you go there on low carb, you can have some quite significant improvements that would take much more time um, if you would do it uh, without it. Or even, for example, when you go on a long a long ride and you are full of carbs uh, and eating always the carbs, for sure the body will take the carbs. To, to get the energy even if you go on low intensity it will take a lot of energy from the carbs and like this the body will not learn to use the fat um the fat oxidation for sure there you, you need it but you uh, you need to have a plan how to to get your body used to this and, and when to use it and um that's that's what i say so it's it's could be a, a, a powerful tool in the training um but it's like every other training methods um you have to use it in the right moment and the right dose and uh, not overdo it. Yeah, that makes total sense. And uh, one more question, training question is on heart rate. That's something that I remembered in the seminar that you held that you, you commented on that, that heart rate is very, very important for you as a, as a coach to use as a tool. Can, can you explain why that is and, and how you use it? So, um, I uh, I always see like this. I see when we uh, taking for example a cyclist, the watts is always the the watts or the, the the force, the power is always the input. So the what the athletes give into the system, and the heart rate for me is the reaction. So the reaction, how is the body reacting on on the power? How is it reacting on the speed during the runs? Um, in the swim, it's much more difficult to, to to really get it, but even there, at some intervals, you can measure. But you get a reaction from from your body, and when the heart rate goes up. There's a reason for this. When 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 people tell me, yeah, it was hot, and the heart rate was higher, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it was hot. The heart rate was higher means higher stress for the body. Even if there's an explanation why the stress is higher, but it is a higher stress, and um, that's why I, um, for me, the heart rate is important to see um, how the body is dealing with the load. Especially an easy situation, you go out for easy rides. You always have at the at the first twenty minutes one hundred twenty average heart rate. At some day the heart rate is one hundred thirty um, from the beginning on. That's always the points where then athletes tell me, "Hey, coach, something." It just show me this. They don't get nervous, but they just tell me, "Hey, coach, the heart rate is a little bit higher." And then we can decide about we go on or hmm, perhaps we skip the intervals that we had planned. We go a little bit easier just to see. What is happening uh, for the for the next day, or perhaps the LA tell me, yeah, I I I, I drank more coffee than, than usually. Uh, so if there is an, an explanation for it, you can deal with it. But first, you have to see the information. Okay, the system is working on a higher level as usual. Why is it like this? And uh, there are not so many parameters that we can measure so easily, like the heart rate, with such with a lot of information in it. Heart rate is for sure. It's not everything. It's not that we 
just skip everything when the heart rate is one or two bits higher. But uh, it gives us some kind of, of information what is going on with the with the cardiovascular system. And that's why I would always recommend to have both in the in the bike, watts and heart rate. And if if you have to choose, I would always go for for heart rate, and also for the runs and for the um, yeah for for the runs. It's it's nice, especially in this long run, especially when um, yeah when you have some constant effort always when there's a constant effort heart rate is a, quite a good parameter to give an, an information about how the impact was on the body for sure if you are doing this this short intervals the heart rate cannot react so fast so there it's difficult but as long as when it's you have constant intervals or intensity or endurance uh, just on, on pure endurance um it's I think for age group athletes and for professional athletes, an important parameter. And uh, just to finish this, it's not that the athlete has always to look at his watch and look, oh, heart rate, heart rate, heart rate. No, I, for me, the athletes could even just shut down or just put, put something over the watch and just monitor it so that you as a coach see, oh, what was going on there in the session. It's not that I say to an athlete, you only have to run at 120 to 130 heart rate. Uh, there are some athletes where I can do this, but there are other athletes that I tell them where, which I tell, okay, just go on an easy run, on an easy ride, or whatever. Um, so it's not that that is they are uh, they are completely fixed to this. It's just to measure or to to get it, especially at the end of the session, and to better understand what is going on in the body. Yeah, no, that 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 really sums it up perfectly. Really, really good, and and really interesting to hear that that you would choose that that overpower. That's uh, I remember that when when you said it, and uh, but uh, yeah, you have very good explanations for for why. So uh, that's uh, I think something that a lot of people will find interesting because I think that the internet again is is becoming quite power obsessed uh, over heart rate, uh, which uh, that's quite a common trend that I, I see at least. So so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to to discuss heart rate a little bit because it it is very important and. And the ideal situation, as you say, is to use to be able to use both and have have both. So yeah, and, and just one one small point: when we see now the the differences in power meter that we have some big uh, gaps between how precise they are, you will never have this with heart rate monitors. Okay, if you have perhaps not the right belt, but when you're measuring heart rate, it's in general it's correct. <laughs> so if you have an, a, a, a normal heart rate belt, but with the power meters, you have between two from two percent up to five six seven eight percent of differences and um yeah that this is already a really uh, objective reason <laughs> to say okay perhaps i need a measuring device that is quite more precise <laughs> yeah yeah so let's move into the rapid fire questions and these are very short one one sentence and uh, the first one is what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports Oh, um, my favorite book for um, endurance sports is um, it's a, a cycling book of um, of Fred Grapp, um, Cyclisme et Optimisation de la Performance. It's in it's in French. I really like it because it touches a lot of topics, and uh, yeah, that's why I I like it. I, I need to brush up my French then. I, I used to speak French, for, <laughs> but, but I forgot it ah, okay. from lack of use. <laughs> Yeah, for the moment, there's no tradition uh, translation in English. That's why, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, what do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career? 
Um, I'm happy with my career, how it was until until today. Perhaps I would do something different when I was a federation coach, just to following more my my own view um, from training and how to, to coach the athletes. That was the only point. So not having getting too much influence by him outside. That is something I would change now. But for the rest, I'm I'm happy. And finally, who's somebody in triathlon or endurance sports that uh, you look up to and admire? Um, I I would not say there uh, are some special persons. Uh, I really like some some coaches out there who are quite successful, but still um, stay stay on the floor, and that you can um, yeah when when you talk to them and when when you exchange them. I I just mentioned before. I mentioned Joel. He's one of them. So um, it's more some kind of uh, respect for the the success and the work what they are doing and on the other side having uh, great personalities and there are a lot of people uh, in uh, high performance sports around like that and i'm happy that i was i'm able to meet these people and even have some friends in in this area so it's not that it's a look up it's more respect and um it's yeah it's uh it's really nice to 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 make um, yeah to meet these, these people perfect Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dan, for this uh, your generous uh, time that you've given us today. Uh, are there any social media or website outlets that uh, listeners can follow you, or perhaps uh, your cycling team, Bodans Groe, or any, anything else that you want to to mention? Yeah, for sure. We are happy with every fan we have with the Bodans Groe um, for cycling team, and. Um, For people who are interested, um, I'm on uh, yeah also on Instagram with Dan uh, Dan Lorang. You will find me there. Just if you are interested in some some picture from from daily life, but uh, for me it's important to follow the athletes and uh, so follow the Pro and Pro team and some of my triathletes, and they will uh, they will really enjoy this. And since we didn't mention that already, can you mention who who are the triathletes that you coach that uh, that people might know about? Yeah, for example, uh, Jan Frodino, uh, Anne Haug, or Justus Nieschlag on on the short distance, and Sarah True. So uh, to mention these four. Yeah, perfect. All right, Th thanks again so much. It was uh, a great pleasure to to have you on the podcast. Okay, thank you very much to have me, and uh, perhaps meet you again somewhere in Lisbon or somewhere else. <laughs> let's let's hope and, so. uh, let's hope so. Okay, cool. So we stay in touch. Have a nice day. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I definitely enjoyed talking to Dan again. And uh, I have two key takeaways, although everything was important, but but two things that I want to highlight here at the end of the interview for you. The first one is uh, just a reminder of the structure that Dan talked about in terms of how to structure the training season with uh, four different phases and that you would cycle through a few a few times depending on how your race is full. So the first cycle or the first phase would be the technique phase. Then you would go into, onto a speed or VO2 max phase, then a strength endurance phase, and then an economization phase. And then perhaps you end that first cycle with a race, a 7.3 perhaps, and then you repeat again. You might have another race and then you repeat again and you might have your key goal race at the end. Just as an example. And do go back and listen to this interview to get examples of what exactly you might do in each of those different phases if this is uh, an approach that you want to try. Then the second key takeaway is uh, what we discussed in the very beginning of the interview on uh, focusing on maximum adaptation. 
And this is where you really need to, to think long and hard about what maximum adaptation is for you, or you need to discuss this with your coach and individualize your approach. But just to give you an example, if technique is a big limiter for you, then perhaps maximum adaptation might mean that you you spend more time in that technique phase and uh, and which still might mean less training overall because you want to perform everything with with good technique so so you're not really focusing on maximizing training but you're maxim- maximizing adaptation because those technique improvements might be for you what will give you the most return on training investment so so maximum adaptation that should uh, be something that you focus on definitely and uh, regardless of what shape it takes it can take various different shapes of course depending on you as an individual your strengths and weaknesses your target events etc but uh, but that main objective of maximum adaptation rather than just maximum training is very important to keep in mind so as usual you can find the show notes for this episode on that triathlonshow.com and uh, i want to just take an opportunity to to thank everybody who's listening because in the last few episodes here on the podcast we've heard from uh, from joel filial uh, philip skiba and now don lodang and these are three of the real heavy hitters in triathlon and, and in endurance sports in general and this would not have been possible i don't think in the earlier days of the podcast uh, so so really a heartfelt thank you to all you loyal listeners and, and of course to all the new listeners as well because it is the steady growth of the podcast that allows me to to bring on great guests like these so so whether you've been listening from the start or you're brand new to the podcast thank you a special thank you of course to everybody who's been rating and reviewing big five stars to all of you guys every single rating and review goes a long long way in helping the podcast grow and therefore also getting the best guests in the industry onto the podcast so if you haven't yet left a rating and review on itunes or apple podcast or wherever then please consider doing so if you think that the podcast deserves it it only takes a couple of minutes but it does make a huge difference Finally, big thank you to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com and use the promo code TTS, all caps, to get 20% off your entire order. And also thank you to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Use the promo code DATTRAFFONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first box of electrolytes for free. And also a quick reminder that as I talked about in the last Q&A episode, uh, if you are a digital marketing specialist, Precision Hydration are hiring for uh, that position. So uh, be in touch with, with them. Andy mentioned this to me after I interviewed him for the, that Q&A guest, expert guest appearance. So, so I just wanted to mention that here as well because this audience might have uh, great potential to, to have somebody in it that is interested in, in that job. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving traffic.